Hi everyone, welcome to another episode in the Leading Safely podcast. Today I have an interesting episode for you with a very cool special guest who plays in the tech space. It's funny, I thought I was cool for playing with AI and VR and wearing a smartwatch. However, I am nothing compared to my special guest, who is of course Cameron Stevens. Now, I first met Cam a few years ago at an AIHS conference in Western Australia. However, you will hear him awkwardly not recall who I am. So what does that say about my memorability? Anyway, for those of you who don't know who Cameron is, Cameron is Australia's leading safety technologist, a Master of Science qualified chartered health and safety professional with extensive experience deploying emerging technologies to improve the design, experience and safety of work for enterprises across the globe. Cameron is the founder of the Safety Innovation Academy, where he coaches technology and safety teams to improve digital literacy, develop digital strategy and safety, and enable safety technology transformation. As a trusted voice for human-centred responsible innovation, Cameron is a global keynote speaker, author of Safety Tech News, and a key contributor to the International Standards for Artificial Intelligence and Augmented and Virtual Reality Safety. This episode is all about embedding technology into health and safety practice. So here is my chat with my friend, Cam Stevens. All right, so welcome Cameron uh, to the podcast. Uh, Today we're going to be chatting about a variety of topics, obviously. Um, And as you know, I ask all my special guests three specific general health and safety related questions. So first question for you is, what do you think makes an effective safety leader? I think, well, first of all, hello. Hello. Great to meet you in person. (laughs) Maybe at WA at some point at the NIHS conference. Yes, we must have. We did. <laughs> that is how I reached out to you on LinkedIn, but that's okay. So we're, we're sitting at the Queensland Local Government Health and Safety Conference to the listeners. Um, I'm stalling while I think of the question, the answer to the question. Uh, I pretended that I had listened to the podcast a lot and knew the questions, but this is the first time I've actually heard them. Uh, so... I think the quality or attribute that makes an effective health and safety leader is the ability to ask good quality questions. Full stop. That's it. Yeah. If you can ask a good question, that then leads to a, a space where you can then explore a whole bunch more into the problem state that you know the people that you're speaking with are trying to solve so the better the question the more likely you're going to be effective as a health and safety leader that's my view okay so it's almost in that curiosity space really if you can be a little bit curious or is curiosity the annoying part of asking questions no so i think curiosity is different so asking a good quality question is a skill being curious and being creative are also other skills. Uh, I think you have a second question. Yeah, so second question is, if you were to come across someone who didn't want to necessarily change in a positive way when it came to health and safety, what would that look like for you and how would you get them to move along towards that positive health and safety change? Sure, so I think that's where curiosity comes into it. Okay. Um, So trying to figure out a way where you can safely extract a mindset or safely foster a mindset of curiosity in that particular individual. But generally speaking, that's going to be by, in my view, 
connecting on a topic that they feel comfortable with and being curious about that topic yourself and then seeing whether or not you can try and translate so you'll end up having quite a fruitful dialogue if you can ask curious a good quality curious question and then continue to practice curiosity without judgment about that person's experience and then play back to them over time how that made them feel because if they feel that you were listening to them and that you were then curious about their experience that they're more likely than wanting to be curious about your your approach and your experience so that that's the approach so i think creativity curiosity in good quality questioning yeah. those two things together i think help you to, to break down or set the scene to be able to navigate change yeah that particularly fixed mindset um yeah i think sometimes the approach that you take as well changes how that person's going to interact with you and how open they're going to be towards health and safety change i guess and change in general as well if you come at them without consulting if you come at them you know with a clipboard if you come at them with a big stick that changes things for me like how voluntary they're going to be in change yeah and i think picking the time so you have to be conscious and maybe it's not the right time yeah to, to navigate to approach change it yeah maybe you, you may need to be okay with the fact that this is how it is for now okay for a little bit longer mm-hmm. until some of the external ingredients for change are there yeah so it might be things like you know there's just been some form of organizational change in the business or you know that that person's just had their wedding or they've just had a child or yep. um they've had a really bad commute on the way in mm-hmm. uh just because it's the right time for you to approach a difficult or potentially challenging conversation around change which is which is hard in general uh time is is one of those things that backs into that yep and then last question is one that stumps most people so if you had an endless amount of money and no opinions mattered, everything basically rolled into one and you could invent something that was health and safety related, an invention of anything at all to solve a problem related to health and safety, what would you invent and why? Um, I'd invent like a new planet. Okay. As in, I think we've got so many embedded social constructs and history and baggage and expectation around how we currently do things that we just don't have the ability to just see what things would be like if we started completely from scratch. from scratch okay uh so the ability to sort of teleport your entire context into a space that was completely brand new so you could see things again really very fresh Yeah. Um and everything that you experienced was like a almost like a first time. You know when you first go to a, a website or you first have a conversation with someone, that first experience is really powerful but then you lose that quite quickly. Yeah. So this this planet would would enable you to have this persistent ability to recall the emotion of the first interaction every time because everything is new. Yeah. It's like having consistent defining moments really yeah. like you know those light bulb moments where you're like oh hang on a minute it, it makes sense or hang on a minute that was really pivotal to who i am 
but consistently, everything's new and fresh. And then you'd be able to kind of bump out of that world and bring yourself back to reality because uh, you've got to pay the bills and feed the kids and go to school and all of that and then apply those learnings. Okay. So there's kind of like a, a little bit like a digital twin. So we sort of are doing that at the moment. Okay. But this would be more emotional. Yeah. It's been some like, uh, is it Black Mirror? Is that the, the TV Netflix series that has the, you know, really kind of warped senses of what's happening? And I think there's been an episode like that where I think they put like someone's mind, including all their emotions into a teddy bear. Yeah, and the, right. the kid, like the the daughter or the son that had the teddy bear, and it was like the mother's emotions, psychological, yeah, you know, everything was put into this this teddy bear. So I think it's called Black Mirror. Yeah, Black Mirror. Black Mirror. Yeah, on I, Netflix, you might. It's very trippy. Have, it is trippy. Paranormal is another. No, what? Uh, Parallel. The the seen, one yeah. on. Uh, I think it's on Prime. Okay. Anyway, we've very got true. too many subscriptions. Yeah. It's true. There are too many subscriptions. Um, cool bananas. So um, normally what happens now is whoever I'm speaking to gets to talk about a topic of their choice or something as they like. Oh, wow. I thought that, that was podcast. No, no, that's felt not the like podcast. That was, but I mean, felt like that was podcast. you could be if you wanted to be. Otherwise, I mean, you are in the tech space and it is something interesting that, you know, most people like to hear about, or at least the techie people do like to hear about. Um, or is there another topic, you know, that you're passionate about at the moment that you you know, could talk on for a couple of minutes. Okay, let's do it. I'm going to debunk something here. Ooh, so tech, okay. embedding technology into health and safety professional practice is not about tech. Okay. It's not about the tech. It, it's, so when people, when people, some people come up to me and say, oh, you're the tech guy or you know about tech safety. And they think that that means, therefore, I don't know about human. And yeah, okay. technology, when it, Technology enabled work design, which is what we're really, what we're, we're focusing on here. So improving my, de- I have a definition of safety technology, safety tech, which is any technology that has the ability to improve the design experience and safety of work. Safety okay. is a catch all for health, safety, wellbeing, psychological yeah. health and safety. So any technology that has the ability to improve the design experience and safety of work. That's a huge... Exactly. So what most people think about when they think about safety tech is they think about a health and safety management system that's been digitized. So going from paper to glass, that's digitization, fine. That's not, that is, that is a safety tech potentially if it is, if it is going to improve the design of work. Um, and then others will go, oh, it's, you know, any technology that's got a safety related use case, they consider safety tech. For me, air conditioning could be considered safety tech. If improving the design, if, if using technology like uh, HVAC system to improve air quality, airflow, and comfort, you've used technology to improve safety or improve well-being, improve yep. the design of work. So, the, therefore, the aim of techno of, of safety tech, when you look at it at that quite broad definition, is about enabling humans to thrive at work. To make work better so the mission of technology enabled work is leveraging technology to improve that human flourishing component um, because if you do well-designed technology implementation for work the technology when it is well designed and it is appropriately uh, managed through a change process and 
there's been a human-centered uh, process of inquiry to determine that it is actually going to solve the problem of the people that are going to be using it and all of those things. What's left is work that makes humans more human and therefore we can focus on better conversations, better human interactions, better uh, emotional connection and the technology is just part of the work design. When we just go out there and think we're going to start trying to explore and find technologies that just seem to be in vogue or um, we should be seen to be curious and experiment, what we often do is we uh, dislocate technology outside of work design as just a thing. Yeah. And it just, so I've been asked about um, a conference design uh, workshop that, uh, the design of a conference workshop that's coming up. Yeah. And they're like, oh, we'll do the first half of the day on psychological health and safety and the second half of the day on safety tech. And I was like, it makes no sense. <laughs> um, yeah. You can improve, you can negatively impact or positively impact psychological health and safety through the use of technology yeah. in, in, in a business or in any way in life. So they can't be decoupled. Yeah. They can't be, um, you know, blocked into two different topics in my mind. They're yeah. fully integrated. And my biggest realization by working in this intersection of safety and technology is that we're nowhere near, uh, we're nowhere as far ahead as I would like us to be, uh, or where I think we could be. We're right back at education level 101. Yeah. Um, and we, yeah, I think at the time of recording this podcast, the you know the, right now this is all about building basic digital literacy being comfortable with the different types of technology that exist and and figuring out our own personal level of ethics around data privacy and yeah. data ethics and being more open to technology enabled change and the reason for that is technology is we we can't not use technology at work. There are yep. tasks where technology is not appropriate, but a large amount of our workplace is driven or or supported by the use of technology. So if a health and safety professional believes that their role is to improve and support better work, then they need to understand how to better deploy technology and enable change in a business. Yeah. Full stop. Yeah. And I think sometimes, and I've definitely come across some professionals that even, you know, getting around a computer was a challenge. And for me, if you're thinking about progression-wise, it's understanding that that's one of your weaknesses and, and starting to work with, okay, well, I need to familiarize myself with a computer. And then what's the next step in that journey to start moving towards understanding how it can help the safety of work? Yeah, absolutely. Most basic kind of fundamentals of technology at work and then kind of progressing through what else is there out there and being not curious, but I guess open to understanding there are things that can help work instead of just your old school pen and paper. Yeah, I mean, even when it comes to something like a, a laptop, you've got a problem, there's something that's come up or a software that's not working. You have two choices, really. You can get super frustrated and divert the ownership of that issue to someone with a label of IT and it's their, it's yep. their issue to fix. Yep. Or you could be calm, a little bit curious and 
go potentially a little bit out of your comfort zone and ask a question, possibly of the computer itself, uh, to say, how could I fix this problem? Like, could someone help me support me do this? And through that, you're learning. And then the next time that that issue comes up, you feel with improved level of confidence to be able to then uh, navigate that change. And everyone will, you know, will probably have felt that when they've had this, what seemed like an impossible task to try and solve something, particularly with technology, and then they give it a go and they might look up a, a, an article or a blog with some what seemingly quite pseudo complex steps. And then they do it and it works and that feeling of like, wow, this is so cool. And then, you know, they go, yeah. go around puff chest and go to the, oh, did you know you could do this? And, you know, that, that's the kind of, um, yeah. I think that those little experiences and, and then going on to then teach someone else about how to do that or yeah. how it made your life easier, those kind of things are, um, you know, you, you've got a choice. And I think that again is a, is a mindset thing. Like you, you default down to this. This is not this frustration, not my issue. This is someone else's problem. What a mess. Versus, you know, let's let's see. Is there a way I can try and fix this problem myself? Yeah. Um, and then that makes the whole process better. And then if you can teach that to someone else, then you're going to be master some of those skills. Yeah. Um, and that's the same with you know this whole chat GPT thing that's been. That was going to be one of my other currently questions. Currently in vogue. Yeah. Uh, I did a, a, a fairly lightweight poll on, on LinkedIn. Wasn't a huge amount of um, of respondents, so not just statistically significant. Yep. But uh, through a bunch of different ongoing discussions and I've, I've, I've hosted a few other workshops and things since then and actually have a chat GPT training course that I've created. Interestingly, 50% um, of the respondents uh, and in those follow-up conversations hadn't used it at all. Um, okay. Actually, in one one present one presentation I did just last week with uh, sixty people on the call, uh, only three people out of sixty had tried it. Which oh, wow. Pretty impressive um, statistic. Uh, predominantly European uh, cohort. I don't know if some of the GDPR compliance issues or some of the data issues there may have driven that. But the fifty percent uh, in that poll that had used it, I followed up with uh, most of those to ask. You know, why did you choose to use it or why did you choose not to use it? Yep. Um, what was refreshing is the 50% that chose to use it, 100% of them said because I was curious. Oh, and they just wanted to see what it what it could do. Yep. Um, those of that did try it uh, were also then really clear about what the limitations were and were objective about those limitations. Yep. They weren't emotional about those limitations and they could see, you know, ways that the tool could be helpful and ways that they would need to be wary and cautious of what it could be providing for them. Uh, and some of the uh, the use cases that people try were actually quite delightful. I was really impressed about okay. their level of curiosity and questioning um, of, of the tool. The 50% that didn't choose to use it all had these like, really emotional and conflated ideas of the negative aspect of what this could do yeah i had never even tried it so the service. premise of chat gpt itself the oh, premise yeah Solve the premise is the premise of a a, a large language model uh, a generative ai yeah tool uh, in this case chat gpt because it's the most accessible and, and yeah. obviously clearly widely known 
to be able to ask a question of, you know, can you can you help write me a health and safety policy? And then, oh, what if that's wrong? Or yeah. it only does stuff since 2021, and the model's biased. And it's like, yeah, it, it is. Um, what did you but if you've got a, if you had, you, but just saying that and not exploring it yeah. yourself is a very um, biased view or narrow view. Yeah, it's a very constrained view, and it demonstrates an inability to um, keep abreast of. You know what's interesting is the rest of the workplace. Uh, everybody on that I've spoken to, someone has used it. So okay. people are using it. Yeah. Um, do you know someone that's used it? Yep. Seth, yeah. I've seen it. So yeah, accessed it, used it myself. Yeah. I've asked it questions and got answers, and I've certainly seen the positives and also some of the things that you know you need to tweak because the human aspect to it is not there. Yeah. So. So again, it probably if you if you realise that it's you know human plus plus machine is better than human or machine. Yeah. And uh, what you what you take away from having an exploration with ChatGPT is again how to ask a good quality question. Yes. Not just definitely. of a human, but also of a machine. So yep. this this back to the first question that we led in the podcast is you know what what's the skills that a good quality skill of a health and safety leader is asking a good question. Yeah. That can be of a machine. Because in the future, or of our data, you know, what question can I ask my data, uh, ask of my data? Yeah. So it all comes back to this, uh, again, that level of curiosity and the ability to feel comfortable with the fact that these things are here, they're coming, other people are using them. I can either get on board or get left behind. If I want to maintain my level of relevance, I need to be uh, at least mildly comfortable with things that are happening around the world. Yeah. and conscious, cognizant that uh, if you if you look at what you know different demographics are doing uh, while interacting with these tools, some will withdraw completely. Others will be highly engaged. As a safety professional, you need to be even if yourself feel threatened or uncomfortable. Uh, unfortunately, you need to be at least at a basic level of knowledge so that you can participate in the conversation. Yeah. Otherwise, you just won't have a seat at the table yep. with business decision-making and, and technology-enabled change. Yeah, that does round up what makes an effective safety leader, doesn't it? Like all of those things that you just talked about, all those factors, really, yeah, to be able to do it. I have one last question. So a while ago, I was approached by a lady in Europe who had developed a software package that identifies hazards. So I think it's like a VR type situation where it scans the workplace and identifies the hazards. And then you could present a report to a human and the human will prioritize and go with it. What's your view on potentially replacing humans from the identification of hazards and using a tech or a VR or something like that to identify it and having the human as the backup? Interesting question. Um, So... That sounds to me like a, a computer vision Yeah, it was just a scanning kind of tool. That's so it'll demo. use probably like a CCTV camera. So it will have yep. a, um, uh, a video feed. Yep. And that video will effectively be um, ingesting, or a machine or a computer will be ingesting that content. What you need to be really wary of is that the model the mathematical model that's yep. basically taking the objects, so it's object recognition uh, and movement patterns and those things. So it's basically uh, a al- mathematical algorithm that will determine 
uh, am I seeing a, a person? Am I seeing a, a forklift? Yep. Um, and there may be some rule sets about if the forklift and the human get within X proximity of each other, then we've identified a hazard or it could be the model's been trained on the presence of uh, liquid yep. and it would say, therefore, we've got a spill hazard. What you have to appreciate is that model was trained by a human. So it isn't a machine telling you anything. It is a human okay. telling a machine to tell humans at scale. It's an interesting way of looking at it. Yeah. So right now, um, over time, the machine will go, oh, this looks like it could be a spill. Is it something that you would like to know about? Yes or no. But the bias in the system was us. So if, if the existing hazard identification process in a business is biased, it will, or it will just carry through. So this isn't anything overly fancy in terms of, um, now this is a very distilled down version of what this stuff is. And there are some incredible uh, uh, machine learning models that can be supervised and then reinforced. So we think okay. supervised machine learning. Yep. Uh, unsupervised machine learning is, and, and where the machine is effectively doing all of it on its own is not really like commercially available oh, for okay. health yep. and safety related use cases. So um, supervised machine learning where we're kind of telling the machine what we want it to look for and it tells us back and, we, and then we reinforce that, which is reinforcement learning with the human in the loop. So yep. human, uh, human reinforcement learning will be, yes, uh, what you told me does seem credible. Yes, yep. that was something meaningful. And it will then go, okay, well, we'll, we'll continue to give you those patterns. Okay. So that's the same as like your Netflix algorithm or your Spotify right, algorithm. Like recommended for you. Recommending for you. So if you think about it as though it's just like a Spotify algorithm or a Netflix, like I'm going to recommend you some stuff. Now you can choose to say, yeah, actually, um, it was my kids that were watching and... <laughs> Yeah, that was or it was, um, you know, it was someone borrowed my account for a period of time and watched some movie that I'm actually not into. Yeah. Um, so this is why you need to protect and defend your your uh, subscriptions. Your that, you know, nobody is getting access to my Spotify algorithm. It's sacred to me. Yeah. Um, but if you think about it that way, it's not as kind of yeah. um, as bad. Now, the problem is, is the marketing snake oil that comes with this. Yeah. And the, and the messaging yep. and the lack of evidence. Incident prevention was what I was told, uh, that it will you will be able to get the data in such a fast amount of time that you'll be able to prevent an incident from occurring because it will flag a forklift next to person. You have five minutes before incident occurs. So you will be able to step in and prevent incidents from occurring. So the way I see this is that these organizations, and I have no no issue with it, specifically because I've worked on both sides of the fence. They need to make money, they have to attract investment, yep. so they have to make claims yep. um, to the market that can then be assessed. It's exactly the same as like a chat GPT giving, giving you, a, a, you know, a generated piece of text. You as a professional have to determine yep. your ability to understand the positives and negatives or the, the potential evidence. And as a, you know, a, a health and safety practitioner, you should be applying evidence-based to everything that you do. Yep. Um, now, when it comes to being able to make the, the determination about how, how helpful could this be in my business, then it will be highly contextualized because these solutions are excellent in say like a, a factory layout, but yep. not so great outside. There are yep. amazing technology solutions that are for outside, but they're different yep. to the one you just described. 
So we need to have, again, go back to what we talked about in, in this podcast theme is you have to have a basic level of digital literacy. You don't need to know the ins and outs of everything, but you have yeah. to understand what is it that this thing is actually doing and how does it do it. Yeah. You have to be able to ask good quality questions of the tech vendor at a level of knowledge where if they give you a response, you're able to kind of vaguely understand yeah. what it is that they're talking about. Yeah. Or have your bull- say, hey, you can have your bullshit radar up to go, yeah, this to is critical. This is, yeah, and like objectively critical, but also in the spirit of, these tech vendors that aren't out there to try and like police you. They genuinely are there wanting to try and solve yeah. a problem, but they need quality, constructive, appropriate feedback. And right now they kind of get this polarized, oh, that's, that, that thing's, you know, I can't believe they're claiming this and that. And there's just this group of people that are like actively talking crap about a, yeah. a, a, you know, a solution in the market that's, you know, really is trying to solve a problem. Yeah. Um, rather than going, well, hold on a second. I, I'm not comfortable with the fact that that's going to actually provide uh, an improvement in the design experience and safety of work, aka safety tech. Yeah. Therefore, I will um, have a meaningful conversation with that person. I'll describe why I think it's an issue. And they might go, wow, I haven't had that perspective yeah. before. We really need to do more research into that. And you'll be surprised at just how collaborative and um, you know true to the cause that these, these technology companies are, particularly if they don't have health and safety professional experience within their business. Yeah. So they are playing in the safety space without that the background and they need that. Yeah. Um, okay. This is a large part of what I do in my professional work is is supporting those technology organizations to to be um, more mindful about how they're both marketing their messages because mm-hmm. it can be picked up in the wrong way or it can actually be uh, unethical or untrue what they're what they're claiming yeah and help them re recraft a better value proposition so the world of tech is fascinating one um but that's a really good classic example of you know you need basic digital literacy and you need to know how to ask good questions you need to be curious you need to be creative yeah and that will uh, kind of set the the scene for the future of the health and safety professional Thank you for sharing those fantastic insights with my listeners uh, and those that are tuned in. And thanks for taking time out of the day to join me here at the Local Government Health and Safety Conference. Appreciate it. You're welcome. So what did you think about that? It's not often that we go from talking about Netflix to computers to integrity to creativity, curiosity, and then AI technology. If you're interested in the tech space and you want to follow Cam and his work, do check out his posts in the Safety Tech News. Well, That brings us to the close of another episode. I hope that you have found this episode with Cam insightful. Until next time, stay safe.
um, and Adrian as well, when you change your mindset, sometimes you don't necessarily need new tools. Sometimes you can revisit tools that you've previously used as well that have been implemented, but because the mindset wasn't in the right, you know, area, um, it's now going to be effective. And I know I've you know been on sites before where they definitely did that. They went, oh, in instant investigations, let's bring in a whole new methodology that was a very, very different way of thinking, as in an engineering way of looking things, as opposed to, say, the old school ICAM view. Um, and the unfortunate side was it gave you the tool, it gave you, you know, things you need to tick off, but it didn't change the mindset. So if you're dealing with safety professionals, you're dealing with frontline supervisors who don't have that engineering mindset or that don't have the mechanical kind of, you know, gauges and what happens when this happens and that kind of thing. It's just another exercise of completing the bits of paper, ticking the boxes, answering the questions, and you really haven't determined what happened and what you've learned from what happened realistically. You've just done an exercise in filling out a bit of paper, which is pointless in this day and age. Mm. Yeah, so, so I, I think you're right. And so if you change the mindset, you, you potentially keep some of the tools. But I think some tools that people have, an organization have used are so weaponized and yeah, so associated with negative outcomes and negative learning for workers yeah. that they're, you just need oh, to put yeah. it out of its misery and ditch it. <laughs> Oh, a hundred percent. Yeah, definitely. And, I, and I'm not sure if you've heard other podcasts, but I've taken my name not numerous incident reports before where we've gone down that line of an old school methodology, for example, and it ended up being, you know, operator error, um, as opposed to actually looking at decision-making processes, systems and things that were unsafe in the first instance. And it's like, well, you've used a methodology, congratulations, you came to this outcome. However, the outcome is what I feel not appropriate and you haven't actually examined the things that led to that, including those mindset changes, including turning it around on the organization and identifying it. So I've definitely, definitely had a few where I'm like, please take my name off that. If that goes to the regulator with my name associated with it, I would not be proud to say it's my work, unfortunately. Mm -hmm. Not good, but I'm looking forward to spending time with uh, Southpac in my hot course and learning the fundamentals and and the networking and all the fun stuff that goes along with it. And I appreciate the time that both of you have taken out of your day to meet with me um, and give me those really great um, insights for our listeners as well. So thanks very much to both of you for doing that. No worries. Thanks, Jodine. Awesome. Thanks. How fantastic were those answers to my questions? How do you feel about the concept of host leadership? And what about those inventions? got to love the scary music that will autoplay when something bad is about to happen. So that brings us to the close of another episode, but I can tell you that our next Health Safety and Environment Collective event has been locked and loaded for the 17th of March. Yes, St. Patrick's Day, from 5 till 7pm Australian Eastern Standard Time. There are some brilliant presenters lined up, plus a very exciting panel discussion on the challenges with current methods of incident investigations. And as always, an excellent networking opportunity. The event is free. You can attend virtually or in person. And remember that the aim of HSEC is to bring together professionals from any industry, in any position, at any level within an organisation, to share insights, knowledge, experiences and innovations relating to HSE with the aim of contributing to keeping workers safe. The event is live and you can register by going to hsec.au that's hsec.au and clicking the link. Until next time, 
stay safe.